Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Well, we've spoken to David Munford and heard his experience of sexual addiction and porn. Today, we're lucky enough to have his wife, Anna, with us. She's going to take us through the wife's perspective of surviving addiction. Anna, welcome. How did you and David meet? I want to hear your story, your perspective. How did he win you over? Well, we actually met. I'm assuming like he told you that he were involved in Celebrate Recovery because we're very active in our local group here in the Chattanooga area. But he actually came into a Celebrate Recovery group with one of his parents and they were in my group the first that I led the newcomers group. So that's actually how we met. It's not really recommended that you date NCR, but when it happens, it happens, I guess. <laughs> and so we went on our first date and the rest is some um, history. We've been together for eight, nine years now, something like that. It's been a long time. Yeah. Tell me about some of what you guys have been through together. Just kind of right off the bat, like with his whole issue with the pornography, like just the way that that came out caused me to really like get serious in like, not like in we're going to get married tomorrow, but like serious. And as in, okay, if this relationship is worth any effort, I've got to figure it out now because I'm not going to waste my time. So like I really got to know the people in David's life and his parents, his family. I mean, I question, I mean, I met and had coffee with a lot of people to just figure out, you know, okay, is what people are saying about him? Is it truth? Is it a lie? And so like we kind of in that since got kind of serious pretty quick. So we got through that little rocky patch, I guess, two years down the road, we were not officially engaged, but we had already like picked out the ring and bought it and all that stuff. And he actually cheated on me with somebody else. And that was like another <laughs> devastating blow to my own personal struggles of like codependency and feeling worthless and not feeling good enough. But I, I prayed about it. And I specifically remember the Lord speaking to me and being like, this is who I have for you. You just need to hang on and work through it. So we slowed it down. We decided we, we were going to get engaged that fall, but we actually pushed it back a year to like the next spring or whatever. And we worked through our issues. We got more involved in Celebrate Recovery and worked on that and worked on our relationship together and our individual relationships with the Lord. And praise the Lord, we came out stronger. And I'm here today because of that. So what yes, did you say to him when you found out he did that? Well, basically <laughs> I confronted him and I was like, this person's mom, Facebook to me and said this. I said, is it true? And I said, you but don't lie to me. I said, I'm already mad at you. You need to be honest with me and tell me the truth. And he honestly, he tried to like, <laughs> he tried to like grab my hand and be also, I was like, no, don't touch me. You, you got to tell me right now what's going on. And it, he confessed. I can't remember <laughs> if I said 
I love you, but I'm mad at you, or I can't remember what I said, but I know that, like, I was very upset and very hurt, and um, maybe I suggested, or it was suggested, that we take a little bit of time, so I think we took a few days and just didn't talk to each other, and I just really took that time to, like, pray and make sure that I was doing the right thing. By that, I mean, like, doing the right thing as, like, keeping, staying in the relationship. What made you feel like it was worth staying? It's weird to say this, and I don't know if it makes any sense to anybody else, but like you can feel peace in the midst of a storm if you know that you are doing the right thing, if you know that you're doing what the Lord tells you to do. So there are all these, you know, things going on. My mind was going crazy. I was having crazy anxiety. I was angry. My dad is a preacher, so I've grown up in the faith my whole life and so like I I knew that the right thing to do was to get closer to God through all of this and so I just kept praying and I really just I mean I didn't hear an audible voice of God but I heard in my spirit the Lord say this is what I have for you and I was like okay if this is what you have for me then I'm just gonna I don't have another option I'm not gonna walk away so you said that you had some feelings of not feeling Mm -hmm. worthiness. Yeah. When did that start? I didn't even, (laughs) when I first got into celibate recovery, I didn't know what codependency was. I had to learn. And one of the things that they do is they have you go through this 12-step program where you go through the 12 steps and the eight principles, which are all based on the Bible. And it causes you to like go back and take an inventory of your life. And in the past. And so I just realized that I really struggled with that from an early age. Like my parents were very loving and very supportive of me, but I found that other people were not. Basically, probably for the first 25 years of my life, I consider, now I consider myself to be, a, I was a doormat. I wanted people to like me. I needed it. And so I did whatever I could to make them happy. And it didn't matter if what I had to do to make them happy was wrong or if I didn't want to do it, it didn't matter. I can relate to that. And it sucks. It does. (laughs) It does. Yeah. Do you feel like you've gotten somewhat past that? I do. I've worked really hard (laughs) at it. I'm not going to say that I'm perfect all the time because I still have a tendency to want to fit in and want everyone to like me and to fix it if they don't. And that's also another facet of my issue is, oh, there's a problem. I'll fix it and it'll be okay. But yeah, so I still struggle with that, but it doesn't drag me down. And honestly, most of the time now I'm like, you know what? You don't like me? Sorry. I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to be rude to you, but I'm not going to go out of my way to like make you like me either. Do you feel like being the daughter of a preacher made you act like you had to put on a show to like, because you were kind of in the public's eye? Yeah, I don't necessarily think it made me feel like I had to put on a show. My home life was great. My parents are awesome. And I really don't regret growing up in a pastor's household. I got to meet people and go places that I never probably would have done. The one thing that I will say is is that we didn't really talk about our stuff. We helped other people. Other people came to us with or came to my parents with their stuff. I never and I'm I know that they dealt with it because my parents are healthy people, but I never saw them like go through the process of 
dealing with it. So I guess I just saw it as we don't talk about our stuff and we don't talk, you know, a whole lot about our negative feelings and what we're feeling and what we're struggling with. So I really felt like I didn't have an example of like what to do with the feelings of, oh, I don't fit in. Who did you talk to about those feelings? Honestly, I really, I don't even, I mean, I don't ever remember having a conversation until I was probably in my 20, 25, 26, but I never felt like I fit in. So I honestly don't ever think that I ever voiced that. Did it feel good to get it out? It did. It did. (laughs) It did. And once I started speaking that lie, because I mean, obviously it was a lie. My parents love me. My family loves me, you know, the best that they can. My friends love me the best that they can. The good ones, you know, the good friends, they love me the best that they can. Nobody's perfect. But, you know, as soon as I started speaking that lie that I had bought into for so long that I didn't fit in and nobody really wanted me around unless I did things for them like it was like oh okay this is new but it kind of like took the power out of it when I started speaking it did it change any of your friendships oh yeah for sure when the whole stuff happened with David like not only did we have to work through that but then someone threw him under the bus and which caused it to go around a second time, but like this time more people got involved. And those people were mostly my safe people, I guess you could say, but they were not taking the time to really like investigate like I did, like I did the work. I did the hard work to figure out what the truth was. And these people, they basically decided to believe the lie over the truth. And they basically decided to believe the lie over me and what I knew to be truth. And so I had to learn really quickly that I needed to cut people out of my life, that there were unhealthy people and it sucked really bad because at that point I was still working on my codependency so I wanted everyone to like me but it's really hard when you want toxic people to like you but you know that you you can't you know it's there's this weird kind of cycle thing relationship that it doesn't make any sense but it's there you know (laughs) so yeah it was really hard and I have learned to cut people out of my life but I've also learned how to forgive them And so some of those people have actually come back into my life and they weren't as, I guess, as toxic as I thought they were. They were trying to watch out for me and we've had conversations. And so some relationships have been repaired and restored. Some have not. So I want to know about your investigation and what you discovered. (laughs) Can we go into that? Yeah. I don't know how much David's told you. (laughs) Just tell me from your perspective, like Um, he's told me nothing. I want to know about the pornography. I want to know about, you know, getting messaged on Facebook from, yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically I knew about the pornography pretty early on in our relationship because someone came to me and said, you need to not hang around him. He has been in trouble with pornography and you need to just stay clear. And so I confronted him about it and he said, well, yes, I do struggle with it, but what they're saying that I did, I didn't do. And I was like, okay, hmm, let's figure this out. And so basically I'm not going to go into details about like specifics, but he started laying out the perspective from his side and I started asking questions to people around him 
his parents, his family, his mentors, and they all confessed to knowing that he had an issue with pornography. But what the negative people were saying he did, it didn't make any sense because of where he worked and what he did. And anyways, they did an investigation where he worked and they didn't prove anything, but the facts didn't add up. I'm pretty smart. You know, I'm not like a genius, but I'm not dumb either. So I just, I had to use my brain. And so I really had to pray about it and get on my face before God and ask him to show me what to do and who to believe. And I'm still praying for the day that the, like, I know the truth and the people closest to us know the truth. But I'm, I'm still praying for the day that the people who threw him under the bus, like, they get to know the truth and the truth really comes out. Judgment can be super harsh. Yeah. Especially when you struggle with the fact of, oh, what are people going to think about me? Are they going to like me? Are they not going to like me? What would you say to other women who are in your situation? Honestly, I guess I have two different tracks. If you're married, obviously, from a biblical standpoint, you have an obligation to the promise, the commitment that you made, not only to your husband, but to God. But however, if you are dating or engaged, you have not made a commitment. So I would say to those, that specific group of people, like, check yourself, because this is a huge issue. And David is living proof that God can do miracles, and you can recover, and you can get past it. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't struggle. Like, there are times he's like, you know, covers his eyes and says, I can't see that on the, I mean, it's everywhere. So, like, for a girl who's dating or a girl who's engaged and you find that out, like, you got to do the work to make sure that this is not going to come back later. And then you also need to prepare yourself. It might come back later because, it, I mean, it, pornography is an evil, evil thing. It's it's huge. For the married person, I mean, that's such a hard place to be because, and I don't even know that because we were almost engaged, I guess, when that kind of resurfaced. So counseling 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 when I found out about all the stuff about David especially after he like cheated on me and stuff I was like you're going to counseling I'm going with you like every so often to check in because this is not okay you can't keep doing this so counseling obviously is I mean good good counseling any counselor that says oh pornography is common and it's just a way you know it's just the norm that's crap it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, it's not. I mean, I have not personally had a counselor tell me that, but I have heard stories of counselors have said that, and I'm like, they're smoking something. It's not. Counseling and prayer, accountability. I mean, after that, like, we started having regular check-ins with people that we trusted, not necessarily like family, but like mentors, people who we knew from church that we could trust. I mean, honestly, just having open conversations with your spouse and don't be afraid to fight for yourself. Stand up. Give, I mean, if you have to give an ultimatum, give an ultimatum. Did you tell him what it made you feel like to find that news out? Yeah, I did. And I was just like, I can't even remember what I said, honestly. But I remember I let him have it. <laughs> I was like, this is not okay. Like, you're going to, I said, if we're going to work, you're going to fix this. Like, there's issues that you need to work on. And before we can go any further in our relationship, you have to prove to me that you are willing to work on this. And he did. 
Tell me what that's been like. It's remarkable. I think it's harder to stay. I mean, obviously, I didn't have to stay. Right. We weren't married. Honestly, the only reason that I did stay is because I prayed about it. And I'm, and I'm I, beyond the shadow of a doubt, I know that God told me that David was the one that I was supposed to marry. It was hard at first. Like, I still, because I struggled with not feeling wanted and not being enough, when this happened, it kind of reinforced that idea. And so for me to sit here and say, oh, that didn't affect me. No, it did. It did. Like, I was thinking, okay, what did I do? He went and cheated on me because I refused to have sex before marriage. And then I'm thinking, well, what if I did, you know, and that's just, that was a whole thing that I shouldn't, you know, nobody should have to go down that rabbit hole. But like, also working on the, no, this is his issue. This is not your issue. Like, having to separate it. I didn't make him cheat. I didn't make him look at pornography. Like that's something that he had to deal with. And so just keeping that separate was a really struggle. And like, we had to just be open and honest with each other and had to have hard conversations. Like I have to tell him how I'm feeling if he's doing something. I mean, he doesn't do anything on purpose. He never did anything on purpose to hurt me. I believe he was hiding his phone and wouldn't let me see it. And at first I didn't think it was a big deal, but now I'm like, who are you talking to? Like every time he pulls back, it like triggers me. So I have to fight every day to like choose to trust that he is doing the right and he is doing the right thing. Like we wouldn't be this far down the road. He wouldn't be where he is in his relationship with God. He wouldn't be where he is in life in general if he wasn't moving forward. So I guess there was a lot of hard work up front, learning to rebuild trust, choosing to trust him, even when I didn't necessarily feel like it, you know, like I have to like, remember that baby steps equal bigger steps. And so now like, if I get triggered, I'm like, no, whoa, we're way past like, where the issue was. And so, yeah. Yeah. I cannot imagine being contacted by someone on Facebook and being told that news. I mean. Yeah, it was hard. I was at work too. <laughs> what? I was at work and getting these Facebook messages. I mean, and it was like the beginning of the day. So I had to like go through. <laughs> yeah. I had to go through the whole day at work. Not I think only, I would have left. I was in shock. Like I was in shock. I was embarrassed. And I was like, I don't want anybody to know. And this was after like people had thrown us under the bus and I was like I don't want to tell anybody what's going on because I don't want to give anybody any further ammunition I mean I told very few people about this like my parents knew his parents knew counselors knew and I think that may have been it when you said people threw you under the bus I like I don't know what you mean so basically this goes back to his issues with pornography at his job People were saying that he was doing things there that he wasn't. And so they threw him under the bus and like, we're talking about it in the open and trying to get him in trouble. By association, they were throwing me under the bus because I was choosing to stay with him instead of leave, but none of it was true. So, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) So that's after that happened. So I was playing. And for somebody who really cares what people think. Yeah. How did you get through that? Only God. I mean, I'm not kidding you. Only God. At one point, it was like the rug was ripped out from under me. And I mean, I literally only had like a handful of people. And I don't know what I would have done without David's family. Like, 
because my parents live out of town because like not only was I working through the hurt of what David had done, but I was working through the hurt of the people being ripped out of my life. It was a lot. It was a, it was a lot. And if I did not have God and I did not have my core group of people, and honestly, if I didn't have Celebrate Recovery and what we've learned there, what I've learned there, I don't know that, I mean, this, you wouldn't be talking to me tonight. Can you share some of what you learned there? It sounds like I need some of that. At Celebrate Recovery? Oh yeah, girl, I'll talk about that all day. So basically, if anybody's familiar with like the 12 steps of AA, Celebrate Recovery is actually founded on those principles. There are Bible verses to back it up. And there's also this these things called the eight principles. And so basically it talks about like, like the first step is realize I'm not God and I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. And my life is unmanageable. And I'm like, yes, that's me. Like I need to (laughs) come out of my denial and realize that. So like, that was a huge thing. But I mean, like just things like that, like realizing that we, the first three steps, we sum it up as I can't, God can, I think I'll let him because the first step is realizing God's the only one that can do it. And then the second step is realizing, okay, I have to turn over my thing and let him have control. So just things like that, learning how to have boundaries. I mean, I learned how to set boundaries and how to find healthy people and healthy ways to communicate and examining habits and patterns in my past that are unhealthy and how they're affecting me today. I learned I need a sponsor. I need accountability partners. I didn't tell anybody about my codependency and all the other issues that I had before I got into celebrate recovery. So, I mean, just learning how to have an honest communication with someone and not feel judged. That was a, that was, that was a huge major thing for me. So that sounds like a breakthrough. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was. Yeah. This is an eight year process. This is not something that happens overnight for sure. That's fantastic, though, that you've stayed with it that long. And so do you guys both go together? Yeah, we go together. We serve together. We lead small groups. I help teach the lessons. Like, we were very involved. I love that. Yeah. Do you feel like you fully trust him now? I'm going to alter your your statement a little bit because if I say, if I feel like it, no, because I don't always feel like trusting David. I don't always feel like trusting anyone, but like... I make the choice daily to trust him. And if I don't, then I'm like, hey, what's going on here? You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I've said in a while, I don't trust you. But I have to make the choice daily to trust him regardless of what my feelings say. Some days, yeah, it's no problem. Some days, it's more of a struggle than others. But like, I mean, I don't, I don't have another choice. I don't want to go back to where we were. I don't want to go back to where I was. I have this motto. I tell myself, suck it up, buttercup. So I suck it up and I do the hard thing. And then I'm like, if it comes out, if something happens, then I'll deal with it. Then I'm not going to wait around for the other shoe to drop and not live my life. Like, Tell me what you love about him. This might sound weird, but he reminds me a lot of my dad. And my dad and I are like this, like, I love my dad. And the longer we're married- Well, you're on the, the right more, show. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the more that we're married, I'm like, golly, you are my father. This is so weird. Like the thing that like first attracted me to him is he makes me laugh. And I love to, I love to laugh. Laughter is a big part of me and he makes me feel appreciated and loved. 
And as weird as it might sound to somebody who hasn't gone through this whole process, like he makes me, he makes me feel safe. He's my safe place, <laughs> even though we've been through so much. And even though he's hurt me in the past, like if I'm with him, I'm okay. You know? That's wonderful. I think that you should feel that with your partner that you're going to spend your life with. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Forgiveness is a choice. Kind of like trusting when I said that I have to get up every day and I have to trust David, regardless of how I feel. That's kind of the same way about forgiveness. You have to choose daily to forgive the people that have hurt you because all boils down to if you're a Christian, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. Who are you to not give that same forgiveness to other people? I can share an example of forgiveness in my life. One of the people that threw us under the bus, I had to drive by their house every day. And every day, I, I mean, I, I got so angry. Like you could literally feel the anger rising. And I would drive every day by their house. And I knew that I needed to forgive this person, but I didn't want to do it. I didn't feel like it. I didn't want to do it, but I drove every day past our house and I would grip the steering wheel and I would grip my teeth and say, I forgive you every day. I mean, I had to drive by their house a couple of times every day, like to and from work. And then one day I realized I was way, way, way down the road and I drove past, I realized I drove past their house and I didn't even have to say like, I forgive you. Like I didn't even think about it. And it was at that moment, I was like, okay, I see what they mean. Forgiveness is a choice. Like I chose every day, regardless of how I felt to like say, I forgive you, even though I didn't really mean it at first. There's power in your words. There's power when you speak it, your mind starts to, you know, go that way and you start putting this stuff into practice. And so like, I really have forgiven that person. Like I can see that person and not feel angry. Like now I just feel kind of sorry for them. That is a fantastic example. And I love that. And some forgiveness really takes Mm -hmm. years. It does. And it's a, (laughs) it's a process. Like there are days that I get triggered about what has happened and I have to forgive David all over again. He doesn't know it because I'm not going to say I'm mad at you for something than you did five years ago but I in my brain I have to be like no I forgive him I forgave him then I forgive him now like it's a process you know who the chick is yeah one time I actually did run into her and I'm glad I was with other people said hi and that's all you know that's all I didn't do anything although there was one time I was really struggling with it in like the heat of it I thought I saw her in line at the post office and I was about ready to jump out of line and just beat the crap out of her but then I calmed down and I'm glad I didn't because it wasn't her (laughs) it's somebody else so then I'm like I'm really glad that like I didn't listen to my impulses and my feelings oh man yeah that would (laughs) have been awkward (laughs) did she know he had we were friends. Or no, that we makes it friends. even harder. It it was very hard. <laughs> no. It was very hard. It was very hard because not only did she hide it from me, he hid it from me too, you know? Oh, that's really bad. I mean, now it it's now it's not so bad because I've worked through it. But then, yeah. <laughs> it was bad. How could she do that? I don't know. You know, I, 
after it came out, I sent her a Facebook message and I think I might have texted her and been like, hey, we need to talk. And I never heard anything from her. And then I wrote her this really nasty scathing letter <laughs> and I lost it, <laughs> which is probably a good thing because I, that's not how I wanted that to go down. But I wrote it as like a cathartic thing. So um, I don't Did know. Did you send it? No, no, I lost it. Oh, I never found it. I wrote it. I was going to put it in her mailbox and then I put it somewhere and I can't remember where I put it and I've moved like three times since then. So I can't, I've never found it. And, um, I went to go look for it after like I had worked here. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to burn it. Um, I'm like that, that's cathartic. And then she doesn't ever have to know that I called her all these really bad names. Oh, because, yeah, no, I was very upset when I wrote the letter, and I just let it all fly, um, and so I'm really glad I never sent that to her, because obviously now I would have to go back and apologize for not necessarily what I said, but how I said it. That's amazing that you feel like you would want to apologize for delivering that. Well, it's not necessarily <laughs> that I would want to apologize for it, but... Um, you know, if I'm going to forgive other people, I need to be willing to ask for forgiveness too. So have you forgiven her? I have. It doesn't mean that if I see her, like, I don't get that feeling, you know, but harboring unforgiveness towards someone is like, we say this in CR a lot, is like me drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Are you anti-porn? Yeah. It's sin. Bible says it. So it's, he can't slip up with that at no, all. Not at all. And that's something that you are never going to watch with him. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's not only is it sin because you're lusting after someone that you're not married to, it's objectifying regardless of if you're a male watching female porn or you're a female watching male porn, like you're still objectifying somebody's loved one, somebody's child. Do you think he's come around to see that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know he has. Did he talk to you about how his porn addiction started? Yes. Yeah. And he actually shares it in his testimony that he gives. What He says that he was unable to receive the love that his parents were giving him. Like the love was there. He just, for whatever reason, wasn't able to like receive it or see that it was there. Has this recovery helped the relationship with his parents? Oh, absolutely. Yes. He's had eight years or seven years of growth in this process. So what do you think of his podcast? I love it. I love it. He actually let, finally let me be on it a few weeks ago. <laughs> I think maybe you should co-host it. Really? You're such like a good just, communicator. I feel like I just ramble all the time. I love that you were on it and I love that you support that because he's super passionate about it. He is. He is. And he didn't have a lot of passion, a lot of passions, you know, for a while. And I'm like, find something that you love. And I mean, as long as it's good, do it. As long as it's healthy, go do it. And so that's what he's doing. That's amazing. And you said that you are a daddy's girl too. Is there yes. anything that like you know, your daddy says, does he have any funny sayings or like, my dad is just a huge cornball. <laughs> Tell me about some good times that you've had with your daddy. One of 
our favorite things to do when I was a kid was on Saturday nights they would show like these old western movies on TV and my dad is a huge John Wayne fan and so we used to sit down and watch John Wayne movies together and so now I love John Wayne movies just like my dad does. Also we um, we love college football. My dad and I are huge Michigan Wolverine fans even though they're totally tanking right now. So I'm not watching them right now because when they play this bad, my blood pressure starts to just go up. I think one of my favorite things is since he was a pastor, we lived in St. Louis. We were Cardinals fans. He got to go. He got like a clergy pass and we would get to go to like day games and all this stuff. So like we would go to baseball games during the summertime and it was just really fun. He's a dork. He's a big dork, but he's a lot of fun. I love that. We laugh a lot. Like he makes me laugh a lot, which is one of the things that like attracted me about David is because he makes me laugh like my dad makes me laugh. So, ah, yeah, that's wonderful. All right. Well, I like to wrap it up with, is there anything that you'd sure. like to ask my daddy? What did your dad like give to you that made you the person that you are today? Oh, that's really sweet. I cannot wait for my dad's response. Here we go. This is Anna's story with you. You already had interviewed David, and now you get the other side, or the other side of the equation of the marriage. I like what she said, that pornography can be an addiction, just like alcohol or drugs is an addiction. And when you sign up with somebody, they can have a relapse. However, with her background being a pastor's daughter, quite ironic that she had some self-confidence issues, but was taught to believe in God, that things are not in our control, that we really have to get help from the almighty being. And the irony to this story is that she was around parents and around her beliefs where things happen, but with the right effort and energy, things can be fixed. The situation can improve. So she's a really a very brave woman, a very gallant woman, who, for lacking in self-confidence and wanting everybody to like her and trying to please other people and going out of her way, she also learned the lesson that you can do that, and it has no avail. Where people might not like you, they just use you. So she's had a tremendous growing up experience. And by having her husband's issue, it's not really her issue, but she had to face it equally as well. She became a stronger person. And not only did she become a stronger person, but she became the leader of the family of trying to have the right morality and to be able to cure some of our idiosyncrasies that can bring us down. And she actually, by gaining this strength, was able to help her husband beat an addiction. I think it takes a special person for sure. Oh, yeah. And the other thing that's very interesting is that when it comes to the gift of forgiving, look how that line about you think you're feeding someone else the poison, but really you're the one taking the poison. So the truth of the matter is, is that the other person that you might be mad at or feel like has really done you wrong, 
or has even been hateful towards you, they don't feel it at all. Because unless their conscience is clear where they want to be redeemed in some manner, it doesn't affect them at all. The only person that's eating their heart out is you and me and her when we're attacked. The attacker doesn't feel a thing. So the only person who's going to get miserable and get stressed and get an ulcer over it is, is us. So that's why it's very important that we're able to clear our conscience every day at whatever we do so that we can be not only in harmony with God, but with harmony with ourselves. Because that's the two main people in our lives that matter the most, is our relationship with the Almighty and with ourselves. And if we come to peace with ourselves, we have a chance to come to peace with others. Did she ask you any questions in particular? I think that she wanted to get an opinion of how we felt about the situation. But I think she wanted to know, how did I end up with such a wonderful daughter? And hopefully, it's the same thing that I've mentioned before, is that I have to do my utmost or, or my best to set a good example. And even though I have flaws, because none of us are perfect, but that I'm trying to grow my wisdom rating. I'm trying to learn from my mistakes and show that there's a path to improvement if we don't give up and we keep trying and we try to hear people out and try to see if we can't make it better. But none of us want to be a fool about it. We don't want to try to please others when it doesn't matter or you don't move the needle at all, as I've told you before, because 10 times zero is zero, but so is a million times zero, zero. So we have to make sure that whatever we do, that we can see results and we can see progress. We don't want to give up, but if you don't get any progress, you're just wasting your time. The fact is, is that at some point, we have to realize whatever endeavor that we're doing or whatever relationship that we're having, we have to see that there's progress. We can make progress, but we have to make sure that the other people or the business or whatever the situation is, that there is forward progress. Otherwise, all you're doing is spinning your wheels. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin 10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin 10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah.